Welcome to Bible Breath, where we dig into the Word of God to catch our breath for whatever's coming next. Today we're continuing to talk about four key biblical concepts, concepts that come up throughout Scripture and are really foundational for our understanding of the entire Word of God. We've talked about sin, grace, faith, and today we're talking about works, good works. We'll talk about what good works aren't, what they are, why they're so important, and how we can get better at them. When we're talking about works, we're talking about, of course, what we do. And with that in mind, I would like to tell you about something that a man named Aaron did. Aaron Ralston. There's a movie about him. You'll be able to go and look for it if you'd like. Aaron Ralston was hiking in the state of Utah at one point, hiking all by himself when he was in a canyon and in some way a big boulder ended up falling on his arm and trapping him. He tried to get his arm out from underneath the boulder, but it was stuck. He tried every which way he could to, to get it unjammed and to release himself and set him free so that he could go home, but eventually he realized that wasn't going to happen. And he resigned himself to the fact that he was going to die. And so he took out his pocket knife and he started carving in the canyon wall whatever he wanted people to know, the, the date that he was there, so that people would know for how long he had been there. And he got done carving his things and then eventually had a new thought. A new thought that maybe gave him a little hope, thinking that there was a way that he could be free from the boulder and maybe get out of the canyon alive. And he decided to try that way. He took that same pocket knife and he started cutting off his arm, the one that was trapped underneath the boulder. He started cutting through it and, and got all the way through and through a lot of effort and a lot of pain, was eventually able to separate himself from his arm and after he was separated from his arm, he was able to climb out of the canyon and eventually he was able to get home without an arm, but he was alive. He did something really significant, but something that was in line with what he believed. He believed that he could live. And because he believed that, he took actions that were in line with that belief. And that's how the Bible talks about our works. There's something that we believe. We believe that we belong to God. We believe that we have been set free from sin. And so, we as Christians who belong to God, who have been set free from sin, we do things that are in line with that belief. And that's the basic concept of what our works are. They're the things that we do in our lives that show the world something. That we belong to God that we no longer want anything to do with the sins that we've already been saved from. The Bible even tells us, consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. It says that in Romans chapter 6. Today we'll talk about what it means to be dead to sin and alive to God. Go back a couple of lessons, though, and as we were talking about grace, and remember how we define grace. You know, grace is the undeserved love that God gives to all people as a free gift through Jesus Christ. The undeserved love. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. The Bible is very consistent with that teaching, that God gives us that as a gift for free. We don't have to do anything to prove to God that we should get it. 
And so this helps us understand something that good works aren't. Good works are not the way that we are saved. Romans chapter 3 says that we maintain that a person is justified, remember that's calling someone not guilty of their sins, justified by faith apart from the works of the law. The fact that God looks at you and says you are no longer not guilty of your sins has nothing to do with your works. It has everything to do with who was punished in our place. It's kind of like the, the same sense of the, uh, the old concept of the whipping boy. I don't know if you're familiar with that at all, but the, um, back in um, long time ago days, <laughs> when there was like a young prince or something like that, growing up in a castle, if the prince would do something that deserved a, um, a whipping, you know, deserved a, a rebuke or some getting in, getting in trouble, some consequence, instead of the prince getting whipped or getting the consequence, they would have another person who lived in the castle with them who would serve as the whipping boy. Somebody who would be whipped or would suffer the consequence for the prince's sin in the prince's place. That was the job of the whipping boy, to be punished for a deed, a wrong deed that they had not done. That sounds harsh, but that's what Jesus has done for us. He was punished in our place for all the wrong deeds of ours. He took the whip and the nails and, and the cross. Um, that's why we are saved, not because we deserve it. Ephesians chapter 2 says the same thing. You know, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, it says, so that no one can boast. We are saved entirely by God's grace and not by our works. Um, in other words, God is not like Santa Claus. <laughs> you know, Santa Claus, I think you might be familiar with the concept of Santa Claus, that leading up to Christmas, you know, somebody's asking, it's like, have you been a good little boy or girl? And if you've been a good little boy or girl, then, of course, you can expect that Santa Claus is going to be good to you because you've earned it. But watch out. If you've been a bad boy or girl, if you've done things that put you on the naughty list, then, well, you do not have the right to expect anything from God or <laughs> from Santa Claus. Uh, but from God, he operates, he operates entirely by grace. Entirely by grace. He's not like Santa Claus. Much better. You know, this, this conflicts with a lot of people with what a lot of people think about how they can get God to love them. You know, some people think that if I can just improve enough, then God will love me. If I can balance things out, then God will love me, you know, more good than bad, or at least even Stephen. Um, or if I can find somebody who looks worse than me, then by comparison, God will love me. But no, grace is the teaching that God just loves us in Christ Jesus. It's not by God evaluating you. It's by God evaluating Christ that God loves you and justifies you and declares you not guilty of your sins. In fact, if we try to impress God in order to get God to love us, the Bible, Bible says, well, you're really throwing away God's grace and you're in danger of losing your salvation. That's what the Apostle Paul talked about in Romans chapter 9. He talked about the people of Israel who, he says, pursued the law as the way of righteousness. You know, they tried to follow God's rules as like a checklist and say, well, I did this law and that law and that law and because I did this and this and this, well, then God should love me. But the Apostle Paul said, well, no, they didn't actually attain their goal. They didn't get salvation. They actually lost it because they tried to prove to God that they were worthy of his love. And nobody can do such a thing. And so based on all of that, just see if you can fill in these blanks. Your salvation is what percent God's grace and what percent because of your good works. According to what the Bible teaches, it's pretty easy. 100% God's grace and 0% your good works. It all has, it has everything to do with what Jesus did, what God did with God's grace, which leads some people to say, well, if my good works have nothing to do 
with me being saved, then that means I can go out and do whatever I want. It doesn't matter what I do, since I'll just be forgiven, right? Well, no, not quite. Jesus helps us understand the proper place of good works and the importance of them in the Christian life. There was a day when Jesus was teaching, he was surrounded by a crowd, and, and word got from the outside of the crowd to the inside to Jesus that said, hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers, they are, they're out there, they're, they're out there, they're looking for you. And Jesus looked at the crowd and he said, he said, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. And so even Jesus emphasized, there's an important thing that our deeds show others. Our works, they don't put us in heaven, but, but Jesus was clear that they do reveal something about our faith. They reveal that it's real. You know, just consider this question. Why does an apple tree produce apples? Because that's what an apple tree does. Why does a Christian produce good works or good fruit? Similar concept. Because that's just what Christians do. That's what Christians do. In fact, the Bible says that God created us to do good things. God created us for good works. A passage we've looked at multiple times already from Ephesians chapter 2 where it says, For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It goes on to say, For we are God's handiwork, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God created us to do good things. And so we have to be really clear on what those good things are. So let's define what a good work is. Galatians 5 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You know, so good works, the way God defines them, and that's important to, re to recognize that God is the one who defines what a good work is. There are two aspects to it. One, Christians hate what God hates. You know, it talks about those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. It's talking about the, the, inner, the inner feelings that want to do all the bad things that God doesn't want us to do with its passions and desires. It's talking about the sinful passions and the sinful desires. You know, God hates sin, absolutely hates it. And so the concept of good works, letting God define what our good works are, involves that concept. It's hating what God hates. Uh, similar to what Aaron Ralston did at, uh, at the beginning of this lesson when we talked about, you know, cutting off a part of him that was getting in the way of him living. Uh, a similar concept would be the concept of a gangrene. I don't know if you know what gangrene is or if you've ever had to suffer or a loved one has suffered from gangrene, but gangrene is a skin disease that spreads rapidly through your body. It just eats away at the, it eats away at the flesh. And the only way to heal a body of gangrene is to cut it off, is to amputate whatever part of the body has gangrene. And, and good works defined by God means kind of doing the same thing with the parts of our lives that, that God would hate. Whatever sins, whatever desires that are not consistent with, with God's word, just get away from them and don't even wait. But there's the other side of that too. It's not only hating what God hates, it's also, you know, good works are defined by God and it is Christians loving to do what God loves to do. Titus chapter 2 says it this way, reminding us that Jesus gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And so good works, doing good works, it means that we love to do the good things that God himself loves to do. There's so many different ways that we can express that or teach that, but one of the best pictures that the Bible gives us is of Jesus himself. 
on the night that he was going to be betrayed, sitting down with his disciples and washing their dirty, stinky feet. And that was a big deal. You know, back in those days, people wore sandals. They didn't have paved roads in, you know, many, if any, places. And so the feet got really dirty. And when you came into somebody's house, they didn't want all that dirt coming inside. And they would have somebody there typically to wash everybody's feet so that they would be clean. But when Jesus got together for dinner with his disciples that night, there was no one to wash the feet. And so Jesus did it. And the disciples objected. They said, Jesus, you are way too important to be the foot washer. And Jesus said, you, you don't get it. He said, I'm giving you an example to follow. Be willing to serve one another. Love to serve one another. And so good works are, it's us doing just that, serving one another in love. Maybe not necessarily washing each other's feet, but maybe. <laughs> but identifying the needs that people have around the world and doing what we can to meet them. It's a good work just to help them. Good works are also done with a particular motivation, always with a particular motivation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says very simply that Christ's love compels us. Like we're grateful for what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, and we can't help but say, we want to love you right back. It makes me think of when I was in college and I was making plans to propose to my then-girlfriend, and I didn't have enough money to buy the kind of ring that I wanted to buy. You know, I had enough money to, you know, go to the one of those grocery store 25-cent things that had the plastic rings and put in the 25 cents and get the ring, and I could have done that, but I didn't want to. I wanted to do something a little bit more, something that would better represent how I really felt about her. And so I got an extra job and worked a lot of extra hours and saved up a a lot of extra money so that I could buy the ring that I really wanted her to have. Not because I wanted to try to convince her that she should marry me. That wasn't it at all. But just to express a love that was already there. My motivation was simply to love someone who already loved me. And the same is true with our good works with, when it comes to our faith. Our motivation is simply to love a God who already loves us and already loves us perfectly. We don't have to buy him off. We don't have to try to twist his arm to convince us to treat us as his children or to give us a place in heaven. It's already been given. Those gifts of love are already ours. And so we give and we love and we serve, hating what God hates, loving what God loves, loving to do the types of things that Jesus himself did. And always to shine the spotlight on God's great love for us. And so good works then is a Bible buzzword that we want to give you. The definition of good works could be a godly deed that flows from faith in Jesus and gives God glory. It flows from faith in Jesus and it gives God glory. If you're like any other Christian, you probably have moments in your life where you wish your good works were a little bit better. And that puts you in good company. The Apostle Paul did too. There's a particular place in scripture where he says, you know, the good things that I want to do, I get so frustrated with myself because I don't do them. And the bad things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I keep on doing. And he just says, who will, who will rescue me from this wretched body of death? 
He's so frustrated with himself. And then he says, well, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Like there's a solution to those frustrating moments of wanting to grow in our ability to do good works, wanting to become stronger in our faith. And we'll always have that ability. We'll never reach perfection on this side of heaven. But we can grow. And Jesus gave us the secret to growing in John chapter 15, where he said, Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. And neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me, Jesus said. And then he said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so he was giving us the secret there of finding spiritual strength, becoming stronger and stronger. It simply comes when we remain connected to Jesus, the source of perfect strength. And he makes that promise. Stay connected to him. Hear his word. Worship with other Christians. Think about him. Meditate on him. Dwell on him. Thank him. Praise him. Stay connected to him. And you, not might, bear much fruit. You will. You will bear much fruit. But it's gradual. It's growth. Like a tree starts out as a little seed and talked about this previously. It doesn't become an oak tree overnight. It takes time. And growth in our Christian life takes time too. But remain connected. Continue to be fed by the vine himself. And you'll see that gradually, more and more over time, you will produce greater and greater fruit, greater and greater fruit. And part of that connection, of course, is continuing to come to Jesus even during the times when you don't. To be reminded of the forgiveness he already won for you. Your status as God's child already. Your place in heaven that you've already been given. Remain in him, the one who already gave you those things. And you will continue to bear fruit. Just in general with this, remember this key point. That you are saved. You are God's child already through Jesus. But you were made to do good works. You know, think of it again in the concept of an apple tree and the apples. Which one came first? The tree did. And then the fruit is produced as it continues to grow. And good works, good works will follow. I want to conclude by telling you about somebody who a lot of people consider to be good. He's a man who, um, who had two fish <laughs> named uh, Fennel and Frida. I don't know if that you need to know that. He had a television show that won multiple Emmy Awards. He was never arrested, never served time in prison, never did drugs, never abused anyone. As far as we know, he never swore. He was given the Emmy Lifetime Achievement Award. He received the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Nearly 3,000 people attended his funeral, and he was a pastor. You know who he was? Fred Rogers. There was a television show that used to be called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. You can still find it in some places, but Mr. Rogers. And there was a time when he was given an award. It may have been that Lifetime Achievement Award that I mentioned already. I'm not sure, though. Where he was brought up to the stage, given the award, and then he was given a little bit of time to make a speech. And, and he invited everyone to do something. He said something to the effect of, I know you're here to honor me, but I want you to think of somebody else. He said, every one of us has people in our lives who helped us along the way. 
who did good things that helped us become the people that we are, get to the places where we are. People without whom we would not be where we are or be the people that we are. He said, I'd like you to take 20 seconds to think about those specific people in your life. And everybody kind of chuckled, like, <laughs> just another speech, another somebody saying something. But, but then he lifted, up his, he lifted up his hand and pointed to his watch, and he said, he said, no, I'm serious, and I'll keep the time. And it started. And it was really quiet. Then it got really quiet. And then the cameras started to show all of these big-time celebrities obviously feeling very emotional as they thought about the individuals who had been good to them, the people who had made a big difference in their lives, the people for whom they were incredibly thankful, the people without whom they may not have been there. Just by looking at the tears that were rolling down their cheeks and smiles on their faces and some of them trying to hold back their crying, you could tell they were grateful. They were grateful for the people who did good things for them. It makes a difference when we do good things in the world. The individuals that all those celebrities were thinking about are far less famous than the celebrities, far less well-known than all the people who were in that room that night. But people were grateful for them, and their lives would have been different without them. And as you go through life, people may or may not know your name. Thousands and thousands of people may never pay attention to you all at one time. But when you do good things, you make a difference. And maybe many of your good things go unnoticed by almost everybody. But they impact a life. And they make you an individual that people are thankful for. And Christians are in a unique category in the world. We can not only make people's lives better by doing good things for them, just like anybody in the world can, but we are in the unique position of being able to impact lives in the best way of all, by helping others see the good thing that God has done for us in Christ Jesus, the perfect thing, the wonderful thing, the gracious thing. He saved us. He already did. He loves us. He always does. And the more we can use our lives to help people see that, well, I think the better off everybody will be. It's what Jesus talked about when he said, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Your good deeds, your good works make a difference. They point people to God.